Okay, so I'm here with Marissa Meltzer, who is most recently the author of Girl Power. Marissa, how are you doing? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Thanks for being here. It's a pleasure to chat. Uh, I wanted to uh, start with a general statement or a question clarifying general terms. You write in the introduction that Girl Power allows each of us to map out what it means to be a woman in the world one song at a time. Now, speaking as a non-gender-specific humanist, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm wondering, what do you say this music does? on a humanistic level? Is it a matter of leveling the patriarchal playing field? Uh, what what of this? Um, I don't think it's so specific about leveling the patriarch patriarchal playing field as much as it is about helping um, all of us. And by us, I mean men and women and whatever gender you That's choose. That's what I'm getting at. <laughs> uh, uh, to sort of, you know, map out our own identities and to claim a space of our own and to sort of help you know, us realize who we really are. Yeah. I think. By what we really are, I mean, that's always subject to individual <laughs> definition. What yeah. do you mean by that precisely? Um, I think for me, it was finding my place in the world and um, figuring out my identity and coming into my feminist consciousness and, um, and, aligning myself with other women and other young women specifically but I you know I think it can be really individual yeah the essential breadcrumbs were laid down for you by this music yeah it really was I mean I was an only child and I think my fantasy of siblinghood was that you'd have these sort of older siblings to sort of um, lay the breadcrumbs out before you and leave a trail to find all of the cool stuff in the world and so I didn't really have that um, I was really dependent on pop culture and I was obsessed with Sassy Magazine which was the subject of my first book yeah. and that was like an underground well, not underground but sort of cult popular teen magazine and um, and I took their suggestions very literally yeah. and one of the things that I learned about through Sassy was Riot Girl, and so, you know, that was also a time when I was probably like 14 and 15 and just really getting into music in general. You know, Nirvana had broken through, and um, I was listening to a lot of like Sonic Youth and, and Super Chunk and Pavement and and um, kind of seeing myself as the teenage, like my tribe, like I was into, you know alternative stuff or whatever we called it in the 90s and then I think adding this feminist element really was like um, eye-opening kind of an aha experience like that's yeah. what I want that's who I want to be you know that's where it all puts together comes together we're starting from a personal origin point and we will get into the broader <laughs> gender issues yeah. but I am curious if there is a possible danger of relying too much on these pop cultural breadcrumbs that we're talking about, whether it be through Sassy Magazine, Riot Girl Culture, or music, and at what point do you steer away from that so that it doesn't become a scenario where it's groupthink or something along those lines? Well, certainly I think you'd see with like the Spice Girls or something like that where it's just all message and no substance behind it or action behind it. For me, the pop culture led to a lot of other things and it led to more underground culture and it led to you know zine culture and it led to books that I wanted to read and um, and feminist heroes um, I hope that that's you know how it works for everyone else I don't know I I tend to be I think pretty liberal in terms of um, people in pop culture I think you know I grew up even though I've written a lot about the sort of 
I don't know, cooler pop culture that I was into, I also watched 90210 religiously and like read every Babysitter's Club story. I think that, you know, people are so concerned about the pop culture that teenagers consume. And um, I don't, I, I just think people are maybe overthinking it. I think people do find their way. At least that's what I hope. I maybe was lucky because I grew up, I think, around fairly... Uh, media conscious people who, you know, instilled some message in me early on to sort of sort through the ideas that were being sold to me. Um, But, you know, I think that kids are pretty sophisticated. Uh, In other words, it sounds to me like you kept up a natural suspicion that led you to these more underground areas. I think so, yeah. yeah. And I think a lot of people who do seek that kind of culture out, also have those natural, you know, that natural suspicion. And, yeah. You know. Well, you have to start somewhere, you know. Yeah, you really do. And, you, you know, you never know where that little kernel of, of I don't know, what's the right word? like Jarring <laughs> reality or truth. Yeah, or just that, like, kernel of... Um, of uh, what is the word? Like fight or something like that. Where like where you're gonna find that sort that thing that makes you want to talk back. Yeah. You know. Oh, okay. That's that's a good way of putting it. Uh, you quote Susan Douglas's "Where the Girls Are," in which Douglas notes that the woman performing the 1960s gave voice to all these inner warring selves. But she also notes later in her book, not quoted by you, that this period of music also captured the way. Uh, that young women were caught between this entrapment and this freedom. Uh, now, some of the examples you use in the book, Liz Fair, Bikini Kill, Riot Girl Culture in general, uh, they tend to suggest more of the latter than the former. What do you think is the ultimate distinction between, say, the music of the last 20 years versus this almost second wave reaction from the 1960s? That's a hard question. You know, I'm reading her new book right now, and it's 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 all about uh, the '90s and the the past few decades. So, um, I've been I've been thinking about her a lot, but not so much the '60s. Um, I think I think the distinction is that there's so much more feminist rhetoric in culture now that you know. After the 70s, um, you know, you had this, like, sort of so-called post-feminist era, which is not a word that I'm a fan of. But, um, you know, you in everything from advertising to music to, you know, television, there's, there's all this sort of lip service and references to feminism and empowerment. But I don't know how much actual empowerment there is. And to me, that's the difference. I think it's really easy to think that we've come a long way musically or politically because there's so much feminism around us, you know, but I don't know if it's so substantive. On the other hand, empowerment has been rather easily co-opted by marketing forces. Yeah. And so the question of what empowerment actually provides within this music, I suppose, is subject to the fluctuating market forces that uh, that may actually abscond with the inherent, uh, I suppose, self-righteous truth of this message. Yeah, I mean, the word empower is also just one of those words that just, uh, you know, at this point, I, I don't even know if it has much meaning. It yeah. feels like it's been um, drained away, you know, by marketers. <laughs> so yeah. it, it's something that, that I have a 
a lot of suspicion towards. Yeah. And, um, well, it, it begs the question of whether a phrase or a word, whether it be riot girl, girl power, lady, <laughs> as you point out later in the book, uh, if the terms are constantly shifting, then do, are the terms essentially meaningless or one must one actually gravitate towards whatever terms are, are presently fashionable among young girls or among culture at large and just kind of attempt to play this game of uh, leapfrog, essentially. Yeah, I do, I do think that there is a certain amount of leapfrog. I think that there is a lot of fashion. I, I think of my mother's generation, this baby boomers, and none of them describe themselves as girls, you know, whereas all of my friends who are, you know, many of us are in our 30s or even 40s now, constantly use the word girl to describe ourselves, to describe other people, to describe women that are older than us and younger than us. Um, and, you know, you see some real generational divides. And then you also see in terms of like, um, you know, divisions in terms of culture where, you know, there was girl and girl power and suddenly that was taken over and you had to start calling everyone lady. Um, I hope that those terms don't seem compulsory, I, I you know, but I do think that there can be a certain amount of um, feeling like you've, it's kind of like a password or code, you know, I, I think that especially like the term, you know, lady for the past few years, uh, it was you know, oh, you're going to love this great lady, or have you, you know, seen this this lady who's making cupcakes at the, you know, the flea market or the pop-up shop or whatever. I, I think there's a, a certain shorthand to it. Yeah. But, you know, is it is it necessary? No. But I think if it, if it makes you feel good, if it makes you feel like you're in on something. Yeah. Could it be the nature of, say, the constantly changing genres and music that causes the constantly changing terminology with which one frames the joyful music. Absolutely. I think if Miley Cyrus starts singing about ladies, then there's going to be a new term that's, you know, on the horizon, probably. Yeah, yeah. Bikini Kills' Kathleen Hanna wouldn't talk to you for this book, uh, and has actually spent much of her career eluding the media, uh, but she did talk with Miss Magazine in 1992, and the question here is whether being selective about the media is in fact going to cause problems in terms of getting a message of empowerment or girl power out, particularly when the media has proven, as you point out, quite reticent and reluctant, even blacking out certain trends. Uh, I, I'm wondering if, uh, if the internet even can possibly replace the mass media because essentially it's in its own way, despite being a more underground medium, it is reflecting the mass media priorities. What, what of this? Well, I guess my sort of caveat is that I have no idea what it was like to open up Spin Magazine or Rolling Stone or Newsweek and see pictures of you know me and my friends in halter tops with slut written across our stomachs and you know never having any intention that that would probably go beyond our punk communities and our scenes. Um, I imagine that was a really alienating experience for them, especially when the uh, stories accompanying it were so kind of belittling most of the time. Um, but that said, I do think that, you know, the core message of Riot Girl, which was one of, you know, helping teenage girls um, find a place in punk and making it 
a more girl-friendly place and promoting feminism and, you know, strength and unity. You know, I think those messages were really important and really vital. And I think it would have been fantastic if it had penetrated the culture in that sort of raw, right girl form even deeper. And I think that for that to happen, they would have had to find a way to work with mainstream media. Um, but, you know, these were girls from the punk community. That wasn't their thing. They had their own networks, um, zines and pen pals and concerts. And that's just not what they chose to do. I respect it. I, I just, you know, with the blessing of 20 years of hindsight, I, I think that it was a missed opportunity. Yeah. And, you know, I think being selective with media um, can be a good thing. But I also just think in this age of the Internet, I, I just don't even know if you can because you can be selective about giving an interview to a certain outlet, but it's going to be, you know, reblogged by countless places and everyone's going to be weighing in yeah. um, whether you want them to or not. And, you know, I, I certainly think that... Um, Information is a good thing. Yeah. Well, let's also talk about the difference between, I suppose, mainstream girl power and that which is pushed to the edges. Uh, as you point out, uh, despite the fact that the Michigan Women's Music Festival was, quote, radical, it wasn't radical enough to embrace Nancy Burkholder, who was kicked out in 1991. And you attended Camp Trans, noting that it still had this truer, righteous sense of indignation and that the environment actually felt more familiar to you. So I'm wondering if, to some extent, girl power needs to be kept to the edges, marginalized in order to have that uh, essential integrity. I think it needs both. I think that there always needs to be some kind of, um, you know, artistic force or pop culture force that's promoting a sort of more you know, I always use the word raw, I think, just sort of an unadulterated version of girl power. You know, someone who's not afraid to equate girl power with feminism, use the word feminist. Um, but at the same time, that's always going to be a relatively select, relatively elite group of girls that um, discover yeah. that message, even in this age of the Internet. Um so I do think there's also an importance to um, the, the mass message of girl power. So for me, something like um, the collaboration that's happening between Christina Aguilera and La Tigra on her upcoming album, I believe they're producing a song or songs for it, is like my girl power dream come true. Because, you know, you have Christina Aguilera, one of the world's biggest stars, um, who has some amount of, seems to have, you know, feminist consciousness, but is firmly in the mainstream and yeah. lives a relatively normal-seeming life, you know, reaching out to this, you know, uh, feminist, queer, dance, pop band, you know, that sings songs about second-wave heroes. So, you know, I, I think a co combination like that is ideal. Yeah. yeah. These combinations, you would say, are more effective at getting a mass message of empowerment out, that you need to, you need popular people with which to mash on to alternative or independent, more independent-minded uh, artists? I think, I think it certainly helps. I think about the career of Beth Ditto of The Gossip yeah. and 
Her career really took off when they had a big hit in the UK and suddenly she was naked on the cover of NME and playing in, I don't know, it was Fendi or Chanel fashion shows, maybe it was Chanel, uh, posing with Karl Lagerfeld, friends with Kate Moss. Um, I think that, you know, Beth Ditto as role model only became stronger when she became more mainstream that way. But on the other hand, Beth Ditto did get a lot of flack because of body image issues. Oh, yeah. I, mean, I saw her on the cover of yeah. the National Enquirer for, like, uh, you know, world's worst diets. Yeah. There was a picture of her, yeah. Well, this this begs another question I want to put to you. Uh, Marcel Karp told you that the reason why every male jur- journalist wanted to write about Liz Fair was because they were thinking about her giving them blowjobs. You can tell me if that's yeah, true. Yeah, well... <laughs> I don't know about that. Uh, I don't view women that way. But I am for women uh, essentially taking the Mick Jagger idea and and running with their own version of it. But uh, nevertheless, Fair's efforts to embrace the mainstream later uh, resulted in considerable outcry from her fans and from critics and from those who, who liked just the angry message of Exile, Exile and Guyville. So let me put forth this thought experiment for you. Let's say Liz Fair had continued along with uh, several exiles. Is the music industry presently in a place where a mainstream woman can become just as empowering as Mick Jagger uh, without compromising on the message or this stigma with, uh, against body image that Beth Ditto experienced with the magazine cover? Uh, will it require more lady fests? more Lilith Fair is uh, where, where are we at exactly is it even possible well I think one of the things about Liz Fair is that she was always mainstream in terms of the way that she looked and so I think that was a very powerful aid on her side for you know being able to be so sexually frank she was you know very normal looking very conventionally attractive um, blonde um, so if anyone could do it, I think it's it probably was her. Um, but also her, it, it's hard for me to, to think in terms of Mick Jagger because her sexuality and her music is so different than Mick Jagger's. I, I know what you're getting yeah. at, but I just, I, I think the ways in which women are allowed to be sexual is really different from Mick Jagger. Um, I don't know if we're there, where there could be some there could be a woman who is so um, forthright yeah. in her in her sex appeal and her sexual desire. I mean, it would have to be some sort of strange love child of like Liz Fair and like PJ Harvey and Courtney Love and you know all of these women that express sort of desire and rage and and everything in in that era. But I don't I don't know if we're ready. We're not ready. Well, when do you think we will be ready? Can you prognosticate? <laughs> um, I think it's going to take uh, some more baby steps. I don't know if Lady Fests or, or Little Affairs are necessarily answer, but I do think that there needs to be just a wider variety of um, female artists out there that are being frank about their wants and needs and desires. You know, I watched the Grammys this year and was definitely heartened by strong female presence. There was, you know, it was markedly a year that the women dominated, whether it was Taylor Swift or Rihanna or um, 
Beyonce or Lady Gaga, but, you know, none of them are really, well, I don't know. I don't, I don't think any of them are really singing about sex the way yeah. that Liz Fair was or, or Mick Jagger does. Um, but I, I think it could happen. I just, I think that we, um, you know, it's like, I don't think we're ready to like dive into that pool. I think we have to sort of like wade fully through the shallow end till we get to the part where our feet are no longer touching the bottom, so to speak. Your your referencing award shows leads me to ask a sudden question that pops into my mind, and that is, do you think that Kanye West's intervention was essentially almost a patriarchal? No, you can't have the award, or, or what, do you, what are your thoughts on this? Does this relate to girl power in any, in any way? Or? I hadn't thought of it that way. Um, perhaps, although Kanye West seems to have a certain um, uh, interest towards strong women. I, I, have a, I really like Amber Rose, his girlfriend. I mean, I don't even think I've ever heard her speak, but there is something about her that I find really appealing. Um, yeah, I mean, there was a certain... I wouldn't say it was... It was sort of patriarchal. It was also just a little bit... I don't know, kind of an age thing. It felt a little bit... Um, it felt a little bit dad. Also, I didn't I didn't see it in real time. I wasn't living in the country, so I don't know. There's something about it. Like, I'd heard so much about it before I ever saw the clip yeah. that I feel like maybe my thoughts about it are a little bit more filtered in all yeah. of the commentary that's happened around it. But then again, I mean, that's how a lot of things happen these days where you, you hear about it, you read the commentary before you actually see it happen. Well, that begs the question of whether the commentary is, in fact, a problem with empowerment. And... We were talking earlier about this idea of something filtered over the course of several iterations or retweeted or reblogged. Uh, is the commentary, for example, in this case, does, does it relate to this, this problem of uh, ha having a genuine female artist, a genuine form of empowerment, something that, you know, would be embraced by the likes of uh, Camp Trance and the like? I like the commentary. I think the commentary is only a good thing. Um, I hope that there is more of it. You know, on a personal level, do I always like it? No, but um, you know, is every person who weighs in adding something smart and insightful to the conversation? Not necessarily, but I think that that is where a lot of the sort of media awareness comes, especially for younger girls. When you know, if the Spice Girls had just come out now, I think that there would be you know even more discussion about you know their message online and and I think that would have been good for their young fans to hear for example on the other hand Lady Gaga is probably the first I would argue the first major superstar in the of the internet age she has managed to transcend all commentary and and you know you can walk down the street and and people will be singing you know rah, rah, oh, 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 and all that <laughs> yeah. so so what what do you make of, of this in relation to the whole girl power dilemma i was at a um a ice cream parlor in la on my book tour last week and there was or two weeks ago i guess there was um a flavor suggestions board and someone wrote um gaga oh la la as a flavor suggestion i mean yeah she's so saturated the pop culture um i I don't always know what to think about Lady Gaga, but I, I really appreciate that. Um, I think that 
you know, she's definitely seems to consider herself a performance artist, and um, and I hope that she goes further and further in that direction. I think her music is actually the least interesting thing about her, um, but maybe also the most you know mass and lowest common denominator. And those songs certainly get stuck in my head. Yeah. Um, but I I want to see more, and she definitely seems to um, to be good at that at keeping us wanting more. Yeah. So really, it's come down to appearance instead of the actual music. The empowerment is now predicated upon appearance, or is it? Does, must one sort of delve into the more underground areas to, to find that, I suppose, genuine message? Well, I'm not sure you're going to hear a lot of genuine feminist empowerment in her lyrics, at least not yet. I dream of her having a very... Um, liberated second album now that she's gotten world uh, fame uh, I I think that the appearance has always been kind of shorthand for uh, the substance in her case the more you dig though you know I just saw a quote from her on the internet yesterday about how um, you know if you're choosing between your dreams and your boyfriend or something like that your you know dreams are never going to say they don't love you anymore or something like that and she does a lot of interesting work with like uh, you know gay rights and AIDS activism and so you know she's called herself a feminist before I, I have uh, I'm cautiously optimistic for her um, but yeah I think that she's a you know it's it's hard. Like I look at somebody like Beyonce, who's um, who has such a strong presence on stage, and you know her backing band of fifteen women. I think is such an amazing act of um, mainstreaming of feminist pop culture. But you know, in interviews, she, she never has anything particularly uh, interesting to say about I don't know gender politics. I don't know if I need to if I need that to come from her, but I would certainly like it. Yeah. I, speaking of advocacy, uh, you point out that both Fiona Apple and Tori Amos have, of course, referenced their victimhood from rape mm-hmm. within their work. Uh, Apple has said that she didn't want to be the rape poster girl. Uh, Amos, by contrast, uh, became a spokesperson for Rain. Um, the question is, when an artist minds from trauma drawing this attention and and profit from personal experience can the artist really control the larger societal connections uh, might not the arts or the messages of empowerment be better served by perhaps even embracing these societal connections instead of shutting them I think so I think if you're gonna sing a song about you know surviving rape or some sort of um, you know, abuse experience or anything really you might as well you know comment about it on the record and 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 you know do activist work on its behalf partly because you I'd have to just think of all of the you know young women or or people you know of any gender as I should always remind myself um who are going to be you know hearing those sort of messages that it's okay or that'll be relating to you, you know, for the first time. And so, you know, that to me seems like a certain responsibility that they have if they're going to sing about it. But, you know, then again, I can also understand not wanting to have to rehash certain stories again and again that you've, there's a certain sense, I think, 
you know, not to sound too high-minded, but, you know, you've said maybe everything you have to artistically in this song, and um, you might not feel like you have anything, you know, more to, to say or to process or to give about that, but... Yeah. Well, that's very true, but it almost nullifies the genuine message that came from that early song when it was written, when it was performed for the first time, when it was recorded for the first time. And so I'm wondering if, uh, if reproduction or mass dissemination of a girl power message and, and the exigencies of, of media and the like are almost nullify it. I, I, what, what, well, I mean, you know, with anything, if you're writing a song about it, you're going to be re-experiencing and retelling the story every time you play it or, or hear it play it even. Um, I think that that is ultimately a good thing. I, I think that's one of the reasons why music, especially pop music, is so effective in terms of um, message and really getting on your, under your skin. And, you know, particularly because those that are getting that message are often really, really young and it's maybe some of their first tastes of, of uh, dissent, maybe, or, or empowerment or, or whatever. I, I want to bring up the paradox that you quote in the book pointed out by Venus Magazine founder uh, Amy Schroeder, that uh, college-age girls, including women's studies majors, aren't interested in identifying themselves as feminists. Uh, there's a certain paradox because they also consider themselves empowered. Can music, I suppose, get past this paradox, merge the two terms, or is, does this come down to the term problem we were talking about earlier? Well... You know, I think for me, it's always a bonus when someone calls themselves a feminist. Comes, uh, and and certainly, it should be enough for me that they live in a feminist life, live a feminist life, and you know, are a women's studies major. And clearly, there we're on the same team. But there is something that's I don't know. I I feel a kinship or an instant. I feel instantly more relaxed when I know that that they also consider themselves feminists. Um, and I I I wish that there were more role models like that in music and in pop culture. I don't hear the word feminist a lot in um, pop culture, at least not in a necessarily uh, positive or even sincere or sincere view. And I think that you know the more that people use that word, the less it'll become this big battle over whether or not you know, you want to call yourself that and, you know, all of those things. I, I just want it to be normal. I don't think it's a matter of replacing the word because I think any word that's going to be associated with the liberation of women is always going to be really loaded. Would you say that irony is one of the problems with this, uh, this dilemma here? Or that the constant use of irony in relation to something as genuine as feminism or, or riot girl is undermining the possibilities of girl power? Probably. I mean, irony was was so, so inextricably linked with the '90s as well. Too, it seems like a time when that was that was really bandied about a lot, and you know, just drenching pop culture. Um, I I don't know if it's so much of a problem now. I think the problem is more just a lack of representation and a certain silence. You know, for me. I think that there's, it's maybe not an overabundance of irony that's a problem, but it's a lack of earnestness. Um, you know, the 90s, 
feel, when I think of it, it feels like a time when there was a lot of, you know, vulnerability in music and, and rage and, um, you know, unadorned emotion. And that's something that I really miss from culture now. Yeah. Um, so, you know, earnestness as a child of the 90s is something that, you know, sometimes I have a problem with. But I do think we need to get back to it a little bit in order to really find, you know, feminism and girl power in music. Well, so sorry to interject, but no, perhaps, no, no, perhaps like righteous indignation then might be the, the purest form of earnestness that can transcend irony or snarky commentary. Yeah, I love righteous indignation. Yeah. I, I want more of that in my life, for sure. Okay. On that note, thanks so much, Bruce. It was a pleasure chatting with you. Oh, thank you. Take your time out.